Uh, my name is Nick Scarf. Uh, as I was introduced, I am the Master Blender, which is a stupid, pretentious title, uh, but that's the one that I have, uh, and Vice President of Business Development for Next Century Spirits. Uh, first off, I want to thank Sid Patel and all of the staff at IBWSS. Glad these shows are back up and going. I've missed them over the past kind of two years as, uh, during COVID. So today we're going to talk about how to look at the bulk market and create brands that are differentiated from anybody else who has the same kind of idea as you and is going to source the same type of liquids as you. Um, we're going to hit a couple of different areas, uh, sort of focusing on the bulk landscape as it is today, the importance of quality in building a brand, the importance of speed to market with emerging trends and how to pivot, and then options that you might have for turnkey solutions if you're trying to build a brand or grow a brand that already exists. So uh, I'm going to try to keep it relatively quick so I can leave more time for questions at the end. We'll see if that actually happens. But mm -hmm. All right, so first we're going to address the bulk spirits landscape. It can be hard to differentiate yourself as you're launching a brand. It is an increasingly crowded market right now, and it's expensive. Therefore, you should really look at ways to optimize the capital that you have. And if you're good at building brands, really that should be in sales and marketing. And oftentimes, it's not on the production or the quality side. Now, that's OK. There are groups out there that can supply you with good quality product, can help you on the production side, can help you on the quality side, so you can really focus on what you do best. Uh, so bulk spirits strangely are a double-edged sword. And I say that because in one scenario, you're able to buy that. You can get out into the market quickly. There's age product available. And on the other side of that, that means everybody else who has the same idea also often has access to the same distillates. So you have to find ways to set yourself apart from everybody else who's kind of trying to do the same thing. So we're going to hit some barriers to entry here and some startup considerations. So first and foremost, obviously, if you're a new brand, uh, someone who's just starting out, you have a lack of vertical integration. And what I mean by that primarily is that you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have the age product available or the price breaks that you get as a large brand when you're buying any of your materials. And that could be your liquid, your glass, your labels, any other material component that's going to go into making a product. Additionally, you have the inability to bottle or package yourself at professional levels. Uh, and there, you have a, sort of a, a much harder time having access to older distillate at lower prices because you're not putting up your own product. And if you're going to do that, there is a huge capital investment to having your own facility. And I'm looking out into the crowd, a couple of groups that I do business with, and I'm sure they can tell you the same thing, that startup considerations are, are difficult and getting to scale is difficult. Um, so, And even if you did want to start your own facility there are long permitting times that come with this. Um, and they, the, the requirements are changing every day. And I can tell you because we just did this. We went to a 5X uh, size production uh, facility from the one that we had been working out of over the past two years. So if you're going to go get, say, in the US, a TTB basic permit, you're looking usually at, at least two months to get your federal permit if you're fast, if you have all of your documentation available. Uh, and then once you have all of that, your, your drawings, your, your space layouts, all your paperwork, your investor information, then you got to go through your state permitting. You've got your fire inspections, your county, your city, everybody else who wants a piece of that that you have to go through. So when all is said and done, you're honestly looking at a year plus to really do a full build out for your own facility, not even talking about the actual money it takes to do it. Um, so, and, and even if you go and do this, 
the hard thing is if you're trying to save money on it as a new brand, you're going to outgrow your production capacity very, very quickly. You really should be planning for five years ahead, and that's hard to do if you're trying to do it on a budget, right? So that's why we're going to talk about some different options that you might have. Uh, additionally, bulk availability in the spirits market is tough, especially on aged products. Uh, I'll give you a, a prime example of this. So NCS produces for a wide variety of brands, private brands, private labels, bulk groups. I used to be able to buy four-year bourbon all day, every day from a number of different suppliers. Well, suddenly last year, all that evaporated for certain mash bills. Basically, some large brands said, we're worried about capacity, we're seeing increased sales, so we're going to buy up all that's available in the bulk market. So suddenly you had to go through brokers who were charging 25, 35, 50% markups on this stuff. So as a small brand, you're at a huge risk if you're not planning ahead for some of these things. So, and then at the end of the day, even if you have access to that, again, you're still competing with other groups who have access to the same base distillate as you. So you've really got to be doing something to set yourself apart from the competition there. And even if you've got all of that figured out, sales and distribution is not easy. Any of you who own brands or have started brands, I'm, I'm sure we'll speak to that as well. Um, but you need to find partnerships with distributors and retailers who understand your product and are willing to be partners with you. Um, and, and working with groups who are more well-resourced and have access to those networks is an incredibly effective way to get your product out there without having to dump all your money into the production and the quality side of things. So speaking of quality, that's what we're going to hit next, the importance of quality in building a brand. So if you're, if you're buying bulk liquid from other groups, you, you sort of have two options if you're looking in the bulk space, right? You can go to a small craft distillery, and this is not to rag by any means on small craft distilleries. I work with a ton of them. There are a bunch who make great products out there. But the hard part is if you're looking to build a brand, if you're looking for an exit, if you're looking to scale quickly, it's hard to maintain consistency on small pieces of equipment. And, and that, I, that's not, like I said, not to rag on anybody, I, they'll tell you the same thing. That if you're trying to do small batch fermentation, matching small batch uh, distillation, trying to get that and, and scale it to a place where you're now cost competitive is almost prohibitive, right? And then on the other side of that, if you're buying from these large groups, it's really not their job to handle your quality control. And I'll give you a prime example of that. Years ago, I worked on a product that was a relatively young bourbon, right? And it was the same distillery, it was the same batches, the same fermentation, same conditions for everything, but there was a barrel shortage in the market, right? So they were buying up American oak, they were buying up French oak, Colombian oak, all this, this generally, quote-unquote, the same barrel, same char and toast and everything, but the product across those, even though it was the same distillate, same batches, were completely different, even two months into the aging process. So you sort of don't have control in a lot of cases on, on being able to maintain your own quality if you're simply buying stuff from other bulk providers. So one way uh, that you really have to think about how a consumer is going to look at this is what I call the first look and first taste uh, sort of scenarios. So obviously the quality of your packaging has to be good enough for a consumer to pick it off the shelf, right? That's the first and foremost, the most important thing. However, once they take it off and they drink it, you have to have them come back and buy a second, third, fourth, fifth bottle. You're not going to build a brand on somebody buying one novelty bottle and never buying another bottle of it again, right? So the quality here is incredibly important. And the only way to build that brand is to consistently deliver that high-quality product that either meets or exceeds the expectations of the customers and to offer them something specialized or exclusive or have, have a way for them to buy into the branding that you've created on this. So in doing that, we're going to look at some of the market trends and how to capitalize on those. Oop, missed one. 
Oh, looks like I'm missing a slide. Oh, well, all right, I'm just going to talk about it then. Um, on the market trends, first and foremost, uh, younger generations. In the previous talk, you guys heard about this as well. They do not have the brand loyalty that the older generations had, right? They don't go into the liquor store and buy the same bottle every time they do it. And I kind of like to equate this to what happened in the craft beer market, right? People don't go to craft breweries and say, man, I'm so looking forward to buying that same stout that that I went there. They want to see new releases. They want to see exotic flavors. They want to see things that are bringing them back and have these sort of new experiences every time they go. And that can be hard in spirits because compared to beer, it's a much longer sort of lead time on the production side of things. But that is kind of what is being expected now. Um, in terms of categories, I love talking about RTDs, canned cocktails uh, as a big growth category. 15% CAGR, and by 2025, it's estimated that about 8% of the global alcohol market will be held by RTDs. Uh, that said, if you want to do it, there are still considerations that you have to keep in mind. If you're trying to do it yourself, infrastructure on canning lines, doing your own corrosion testing, dealing with supply chain issues that you heard about, trying to get your hands on aluminum cans right now is an absolute nightmare. So finding groups to work with who can do this for you in the bulk space is incredibly important. Um, in terms of other categories, it's, it's really interesting to me because there are categories that I've, I've appreciated over my career but thought they never really got the appreciation they deserved. So, uh, for example, premium rums is sort of a strange one, right? You look at rum as a category and you've got a 1% CAGR, but you look at premium rums and it's five times that, right? Tequila is up to 13% CAGR. American single malt whiskey, which is one of my favorite categories, and I know I saw some of my American single malt uh, producer buddies in the crowd, that that's a cool category to me because there are tons of scotch drinkers in the U.S. and you hear American single malt and you're like, I have no idea what that means. But when people taste that, they're like, oh, I get the flavors that I like from scotch, but it's domestically made. There's some interesting nuances. That was a 22% CAGR. So some of these categories that people sleep on, they don't realize there's huge growth potential there. And there's an opportunity where you're not competing against every single other person who wants to launch a basic bourbon or a rye or an American whiskey, for example. Uh, beyond that, there are ways to differentiate yourself even within those categories, right? One of my absolute favorites is secondary cask finishing, which is one thing that I'll talk a bit about with NCS in the next slide here. But cask finishes, when I say that, what I mean is not your original maturation, right, but the secondary maturation. So the Scotch producers were the ones who really pioneered this. They basically, most Scotch is going to be first filled bourbon barrels, but then after that they're going to finish in sherry, port, rum barrels, whatever else. And what you can do there is create these incredibly complex, nuanced products that hit way above their price point. You can command premium prices without really having to add a whole lot of additional cost into your matrix if you're careful about how you go about it. So we'll talk a bit more about that here uh, in a while. And then additionally, sustainability and environmental uh, aspects are a huge concern, especially for the younger generations. 73% of Gen Z consumers said they are willing to spend more money on products if they have an environmental slant. 75% of millennials said the same thing. Uh, the last thing I'll sort of talk about in sort of uh, interesting categories is uh, age statement. So for the longest time, people looked at whiskeys, rums, age products, and said, age statement is what I'm going to equate to quality. And what people are realizing is that is not necessarily the case. I've had plenty of younger bourbons that outcompeted older bourbons, depending on how they were made with their mashing, their fermentation, their distillation, their aging, what type of cast they use, what type of secondary cast they use. And people are now realizing that you can get some really high-end products 
products that hit way above their price points just by sort of creating these interesting uh, offerings that no longer have age statements on them. And you see that even from the major multinationals are kind of going in that direction as well. Uh, so now we're going to hit on a couple of uh, development and production solutions. So sort of having heard all of this, you might be asking, well, how do I find ways to not cut corners but to save costs to maximize the capital that I have? So Next Century Spirits, the group that I work for, um, I'll give you a quick introduction. We've been around for about three years. We're a turnkey provider for distilled spirits groups. We operate in pretty much every category. We look to be a partner for the brands that we produce for. We understand the struggles of that startup process, and we offer these solutions to be able to give you finished products, sort of you know, from conception all the way to finished bottled goods. We specialize in customization. Um, when I say that, we built the company on the back of a finishing and filtration technology, um, which is to say that we sort of look at the optimal conditions in the barrel or in the oak containers or, or in the process for maturation and finishing of spirits to, to basically customize a profile that might be what someone's looking for. And it's a great way to differentiate yourself from other people who are buying the same bulk liquid. So you might buy a straight bourbon and say, what I really want is more vanilla on the back end, more dark chocolate, or I want to accentuate these mid-range esters, more of these ripe red fruit notes that I get. So what we do is find ways to subject that liquid to the best possible conditions, and we can test that in very short amounts of time. So we can do test samples in three hours uh, through the system, uh, and, and by virtue of that, we are the fastest iterators in the spirits industry with a wider bulk catalog than any other provider who offers those custom services. And if we don't have that base liquid, we will go and find it as well, because we work with distilleries, brokers all over the world to do this. And so the goal there is to really deliver a product that hits exactly what the customer wants from a flavor profile point of view while still maintaining a certain type of budget because you have to look at what's your end retail goal at the end of the day. Um, so an example of this is Creekwater Whiskey. We had a celebrity uh, hip-hop artist come to us and said, I want to launch a whiskey, but I have no idea how to do this. We brought it from start to finish from conception of development to on the shelf in the liquor stores in 60 days. Now, I don't like to say we can do that all the time. That's a ridiculous amount of time to do it, but it is possible if you're effective on it, right? And we brought that to a 10,000 case run rate in the first year. So we do this for a variety of customers, and we operate in about every category. We have over 100 medals in international competition, including best of class from places like ADI. Uh, we had a top 20 in the world uh, American single malt from uh, New York International. Uh, and last year, we were the North Carolina Distillery of the Year in that same competition. So the goal here is for us to leverage our distillery and bulk connections for private brand owners who are looking to launch. And in doing that, we can basically offer lower MOQs than you're going to find elsewhere. We'll do RTDs in the 1,000-case range. We'll do uh, traditional distilled spirits in the 500-case range for first runs. And we sort of like to leverage our blending and our processing expertise to create these custom products using bulk liquid that would be available elsewhere. Uh, so what that allows you to do is, is sort of not have to put all your money into the production side of things and really focus on the sales and marketing side. And because we can develop fast, we can hit trends faster than any other group. I talked about task finishing earlier. 
I've, I've sort of been a strong believer in this for the past 10 years. I've said that cask finishing was going to be the next sort of big Wild West, especially in the American whiskeys. The Scotch did it for a long time. You had some early adopters like Angel's Envy, for example, in the U.S., but now you're seeing it get wider and wider in the scope, right? You do see sherry cask, you see port cask and rum cask, but now you see apple cider cask, you see maple cask, you see you know, more sort of uh, unusual wine varietal casts that, that people will use on this. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. And because that is actually specialized in sec- the, the secondary cast maturation is more about extraction of those flavors than just traditional maturation reactions, there's a lot of option, even with younger products, to create something really nuanced that you can get premium pricing for. Uh, beyond that, we can also offer packaging and bottling services, turnkey options uh, to give finished products for customers. Um, and so that way you can focus on the selling and not on the quality or the production issues. Uh, we have a portfolio of designers and label producers, glass manufacturers that we can work with. And oftentimes what we find is that because we want to be a partner for these groups, they'll ask us to simply produce the entire product hands-off. Because if you're a brand owner who's been trying to do this yourself, you know that it's difficult to go out and talk to a glass manufacturer and get supply on that stuff right now. I had glass manufacturers that used to be able to supply stuff in two weeks, and now they're saying, hey, it's going to be six months till that bottle's back in stock. Right? So having access to that glass or those labels or whatever else can be incredibly important as you're trying to build a small brand. Additionally, what we've launched is a route-to-market team as well. So we've brought in strategic partners from major multinationals onto the NCS team. And so the idea there is that instead of being a small brand trying to go out and convince distributors to take your product in other markets, you can leverage a network that already exists. And the problem there as a small brand is you have to think about it from the distributor side of things. Why would they have an interest in taking your product when they're getting kickbacks to go sell Jack Daniels all day? Right? You have to provide something interesting for them to want to go out and sell this, something that is, is cost-effective for them or they think they're going to sell a lot of. So having partners in that to be able to go out and leverage those distribution networks is incredibly important, the, the, especially the ones who will understand what your goal is at retail and how to tell that story. Um, so uh, with all that said and done, does anybody have any questions for me? Yeah, you know, vodka RTDs tend to be the most common primarily because from a cost standpoint, they're, they're neutral and from a cost standpoint, it tend to be lower than whiskeys or rums. But I, we are actually doing quite a few developments with tequila-based cocktails, whiskey-based cocktails, rum-based cocktails. What people are realizing in the RTD market <clears throat> is that they're not drinking Mike's Hard Lemonade anymore, right? You can actually get quality cocktails if you're using the correct ingredients, Right. And, and with sort of the advances in how they go about the shelf life and stability of these, you, people are willing to pay 15 plus dollars for a four pack on these, these Spiritus RTDs. I'd say that is one of our hottest categories far and away. It's so hot that we had the largest mobile canning group on the East Coast come to us and say, we have all of these leads. Everybody wants to launch an RTD, but we need someone to develop it for them. So we basically created this partnership with a mobile canner who needed a brick and mortar space to do development or have a partner for development. So from what we've seen, whiskey, rum, and tequila RTDs are just as strong in growth as the vodka RTDs are. And I think you're going to see more and more of those as well, especially as the vodka side starts getting more crowded. And one last question. Um, are you guys using like pasteurization or 
Velcrin or how? So it, it depends, right? So some canners don't like to use Velcrin, for example. If you want a shelf life of a certain amount, right? If you're going to say a year, and I say a year because let's be honest, if they're aluminum cans, the can provider is never going to give you more than a year on it. Um, then pasteurization is a great option. Now you can only do carbonation up to a certain level with pasteurization. You can use natural preservatives as well as an option. Velcrin is also an option. So really the goal there is what I would do is talk to the customer and say, what are your goals for your shelf life? What are your goals for the flavor profile? And figure out what the best option is there. So we can sort of mix and match as needed. Yep. Anything else? All right. Thank you.